0: This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. How can you say to students you have to abide by Harvard's standards of academic rigor, but we're unwilling to even hold our own president to the same standards?
1: Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
2: Harvard's president is out. A new cadre of uh, politicos are in in Frankfort, Kentucky. We have polls in the presidential race and a new gig for our friend Daniel Cameron, the very first flyover country of 2024 with the aforementioned Scott Jennings. Joe Arnold, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And to Sean Southerd. Hello, friends. And to Courtney Yap-Norris.
0: Happy New Year. It's the good gang. to see you. The gang is all
2: here in the we New are Year. are so excited. Our very first, and it's been, it's been weeks since we've been together, so it's, it's just good to see you. I have missed you all so much.
1: Everyone I, looks mm. well-rested. Yeah. Might I say that?
3: Sean, Sean it, we've not been
0: hanging out as much. I know. And I'm glad we are. Joe, <laughs> you've been busy, you've been on the road. Indeed. Courtney and I have been here holding down the fort. At the office doing we stuff, have. but uh, you guys have been hard to pin down. I
3: will say I will say, Scott and I went and shot some weapons. Uh, Sean and I... I
0: saw photographs. We went to a Second Amendment rally. Yes. Uh, and we shot all manner of guns. Uh, but my favorite shooting range is closing, or did close, as of December 31st. The good people of Open Range in Crestwood, Kentucky... I didn't know they closed. I've been shooting there for years, and... Uh, uh, take Everett, my son, who loves to shoot, and uh,
3: and Terry took me, Terry yeah, Carmack, Terry took
0: Carmack, me. Senator McConnell's chief of staff was there, and Sean came out, and we and we were stunned to learn it was closing. I guess maybe the owners are retiring or yes, something. And yes. uh, anyway, I got to find a new place. So I was telling Courtney about this the other day, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I shoot at this other place on
2: in it's the middle
1: town, Range, yeah. USA." Over so go there. We may be Great getting
0: people. uh may be getting the, the pod at the shooting range. Pretty. soon. I think
2: we need to do the ferry. I guess the second. Uh, pot on the road. The first one is always fancy farm, but I guess the second one should be at Courtney's favorite shooting range.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Range USA. Of
2: all the guns we shot, what what was your favorite?
3: Oh, God. I like that SIG. You like the SIG? Yeah. Yeah. I think we should do like a flyover country clay pigeon shoot or something. (laughs) We
0: could. I just want to, I just want to take all four of us to the range and, and I want to see who. I'm a little worried Courtney's the ringer
3: here. I would bet that would be
0: the
2: yeah. case. Yeah, I'm
3: just a little worried.
1: I'm like a shark. You guys I, don't know.
2: I, just, just in all <laughs> candor, I, I have the least experience of anybody here. This
3: is my first this
0: this is my su- first This time. surprises me to, to hear this. <laughs> we're here we're talking about doing something conservative and in and in support of our Constitution, and you're not... And you're you're like, not you're in, I'm all we, over... We're we we hearing blah, blah. this for time the first out, time. Time
2: out, time out, time out. <laughs> Whatever my... See, I am the true constitutionalist here. Yeah, Because I am a avid and strong supporter of each of those uh, amendments of the Bill of Rights and, and the entire Constitution. <laughs> we are too. Regardless of whether I personally enjoy that particular activity. But I will defend your right to shoot those weapons as long as I can. All right. What will you defend <laughs> his right with? Like with a, with my Like words. <laughs> a sword
0: with his pen, with my pen, my sharp tongue. No, <laughs>
2: <laughs> again, <laughs> the it's, pen it's, is mightier it's, than the sword. I, when <laughs> I, the, the few times that I've a strongly worded the, letter, I've 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 been to a gun range. I've 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 shot a few weapons here, but I'm gonna say not to the extent that you have seen yep. a few John Wayne movies. Yeah, Fine. well, it's a
3: it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and Sean, I have to say, you you did very well. Yeah, for I think for my first time, I, I did better than I expected. Yeah. Honestly.
1: It's better than the story about you shooting the bow and it hitting you in the eye. Yeah, that
3: was not fun.
0: That was a rough moment in I, your life when I you sh- got hit in the face
2: with the crossbow. Yeah. Now, Duck Hunt, I, I, I'm pretty good with that <laughs> on the old Nintendo.
1: NES <laughs> or NES 64? How many times
0: did you shoot the I dog? Think NES.
3: NES. Yeah. yeah. Did you shoot the dog? All the time. <laughs> You're a oh, hateful oh. person.
0: Oh, speaking of speaking of dogs, Uh oh. Santa Claus Uh-oh. left a dog at the, Jennings, the Jennings, Jennings household <sighs> porch. Heard a, is, heard
2: a rumor about this.
0: This
3: is the first time hearing about this.
0: Princess Fiona, the pug. You didn't and name
2: this dog Princess Fiona. Well, I don't think he probably named it.
0: We we went through a lot of names. Her name is Fiona. I call her Princess Peabottom because she pees a lot in the house. And uh, <laughs> But anyway. Sounds great. She's Fiona. I'll put a picture of By the up. way, I love dogs.
2: <laughs> yeah. I will defend your right to have a dog. <laughs> I don't have a dog. But go ahead.
0: Anyway, so uh, the kids are thrilled. And uh, Baxter... Our existing dog not as pleased. I was
2: gonna say Baxter, who's known to bite both Terry Carmack and me.
0: Yeah, he he yeah. he's he was very unhappy to begin with. Now he's moved into sort of mild irritation, uh, and he's more tolerant than he was. She is more uh, excited about getting Baxter engaged, so she's running around and trying to bite him on the tail and so on. And he's like,
2: and this is a boxer? No, it's a pug. A pug.
0: Yeah. My wife loves pugs. She had pugs in her family, and she's always wanted one. So, she, so Santa heard her pleas. I see. And now we have a now we have a pug. So Fiona's at home. That was the big news in the Jennings household.
1: How old is she now?
0: Uh, she was born in in October. So Very cute. It. It. It's a young. It's a tiny
3: Eight dog. Eight weeks. Adorable. Yeah. How does the How does Fiona get along with the chickens?
0: You know, she was a little. Uh she sort of charged into them and then they began to do their squawking, which is loud, and then she was immediately unhappy about that. Mm. And so, uh, we haven't they haven't spent a lot of time together. Uh and and the one time we did she retreated. But well, I don't blame her.
3: Hope Spring's Eternal. Kind of menacing.
0: For that great chicken dog. Oh, I know we're gonna get to this later. Speaking of chickens, when I was down in the Capitol this week, <clears throat> I was asking the new agriculture commissioner, Jonathan Shell, why I had yet to be appointed. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Why I had yet to be appointed uh, to any... any uh, the chief pu- poultry expert? Poultry boards. There's a number of those. But as luck would have it, the new chief of staff at the agriculture department, Mike Bowling, mm-hmm. is from Dawson Springs. Oh. He graduated from Dawson Springs High School in 1982. Oh, wow. And... That's the year I was born. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and go. so, anyway, not only do I know the agriculture commissioner, I now know the senior staff. And I, this is my New Year's resolution.
3: To get appointed to the chicken board?
0: I, I need to have some influence over the future of poultry. I told Warren Beeler... Who's also going in? I guess yep. as the as deputy a, ag commissioner. Deputy ag, he's a legend of agriculture. Mister agriculture. I said I started Warren with six chickens. Six chickens, and now I have like twenty five. If this is not evidence of my expertise, I don't know what is. And he was like, "Well, it's pretty hard to keep chickens from procreating." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, and I'm he, working on it. And he has a zebra. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Well, he
3: has a zonkey, I believe. I believe that it's, it's, it's like that. a crossbred. A uh, donkey and a zebra. Does it have stripes? I think it does. Interesting. I've seen photos. Warren,
2: of Warren Warren is a uh, renowned livestock judge across the country. He is, yeah, he is he is called upon in dozens of states to go and and judge at you know at when kids who are showing you know different yeah different livestock. We should have him on the podcast. To talk.
3: Oh, he's, he's a true flyover country.
0: We should have Warren in. Yeah. You know who else we should have in? I was thinking this the other day, Joe. Because of your uh, Kentucky Living magazine, I'd like to have in Pam Brown. That should be great. Kentucky and Pam Brown, Mm -hmm. uh, CNN chief investigative anchor right now. I delivered her uh, a stack of Kentucky Livings uh, (laughs) that uh, she was in last month, and so uh, she was grateful to get that. But we should have Pam in at some point and get her to tell us about uh, her job at CNN. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely.
3: I've been ruminating on the pod over the break about—
0: what well, we should be talking about. Many should. people
3: have been ruminating on the pod. We, we actually understand now that there's some Democrat operatives who listen to the podcast now. Are you serious? Oh, yes. They were they were tweeting all sorts of things about things we said on the last podcast. So hello, friends and enemies. <laughs> oh, wait, that was weeks ago. I know.
0: Oh, man, amazing. Well, anyway, uh, I think we should endeavor to get some more, let me get a few more folks in here that we met along the way who'd make good Good guess I think we got some governors out there that want to come on. We got some uh, other politicians that may want to come on, some media types. so it's going to be a good year for, uh, yeah. for guest booking with the, with the politics starting.
2: I want to start tonight, uh, as we record this by the way, at 8:44 p.m. Eastern Time on January 3rd, 2024, about your former employer to a degree. Where well, you were an adjunct professor at Harvard University,
0: I've had two jobs there. I was a resident fellow in the Institute of Politics, and I have been a professor uh,
3: in the Kennedy School of Government. Absolutely I thought, true. I thought you were going to talk about WHAS Radio.
2: <laughs> Could do that too. I was an adjunct news anchor there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know a lot of former WHASers out there, yeah. including yours truly. But well, it's rough sailing at
0: Harvard right now. It really is.
2: So Claudine Gay, uh, after much consternation and. Uh, just a really drawn out, complicated debate, which I guess ultimately it was not the fact that she wouldn't uh, condemn anti semitism. It was ultimately the, the the plagiarism accusations, or what was it? Was this was this a sum total of what what forced her out of ultimately?
0: My view is that it it does go back to the the hearing, the anti semitism. I think a lot of people affiliated with these universities at a very high level, donors, important alumni, I think they must have been mortified at what was being portrayed as the leader of, I think Harvard is America's flagship university. I mean, it is it is a universally known center of academic excellence that's here in the United States, and I think a lot of other people measure elite universities against Harvard, And so, to hear her say at a hearing, uh, or to hear her equivocate about genocide against the Jewish people and anti-Semitism, when we are all watching on our television all this behavior going on on these college campuses, I I just have to imagine, like it has at many universities, set off a firestorm among very important people. Now, the plagiarism stuff is interesting because this has been— just an embarrassment for the mainstream press in my opinion all of what's come out about her has been generated by conservative media which has then caused all of her defenders to say well this is illegitimate uh, these are illegitimate people bringing it up therefore we we just must disregard it they're just glossing right over the fact that a person with an extraordinarily thin academic record to begin with plagiarized half of it i mean 50 instances just glossed right over. And apparently at the beginning of the whole thing, even before the hearing, this was going on in the background, they were threatening to sue news outlets if they published any oh, yeah. word of this. Yep, And so Harvard I, was... Yes, they were threatening news outlets. So what I think is that during the anti-Semitism hearing, you had an uproar of important donors and alums sort of outside. And then I think when the plagiarism stuff became obvious. My guess is they must have had a faculty uproar on the inside, because how can you say to students, you have to abide by Harvard's Mm -hmm. standards of academic rigor, but we're unwilling to even hold our own president to the same standards. And I, I just, my guess is a lot of influential faculty had something to say about that. I mean, how can we be Harvard if we're not even willing to uphold our own standards and enforce them on our own president, who, by the way, uh, wasn't wasn't all that scholarly to begin with.
2: Because you're saying that the the lack of journals or or scholarly articles,
0: books Hmm. articles, I mean, the things that these academics do is they write, they write things, they publish things.
1: I think it was an interesting choice to begin with that they chose her. I think they kind of overcorrected historically. They haven't choo- chose women, minorities in that position. So then they kind of overcorrected choosing her. I don't know what sort of qualification she had because her resume was so thin on the academic side. Did she meet donor requirements? Was she good with, did she have another population that she was meeting with that they normally couldn't reach? What, why did they choose her in the first place?
0: Mm, I guess we'll. There. I guess we'll never know. Well,
3: <laughs>
1: you know, I, I just I don't I don't get it. And then to say you know plagiarism, I don't know. It just it doesn't it didn't really make sense I, that I, they chose her in the first place. There's so
3: many things that could be said about this entire situation from beginning to end. But you know, Scott, the the point you made about the, the press and the reaction to this. Oh my gosh, the AP today, which uh, which I think has historically been a down the middle, yes, reputable news organization. Yes, they put out this story and they they said that conservatives have turned to a new weapon to to cancel people the truth plagiarism yes oh. they it's call like, they like call the, plagiarism it was like it was like plagiarism noun conservative weapon
0: yeah it's like in the last 2 months conservatives invented the concept of plagiarism and why yes. it might be bad and, at a major university and
3: remember like you know when melania trump was giving speeches that you know had some similarities to michelle obama's speeches it was like oh uproar cancel blah 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 and then now it's like oh it's fine it's fine i
1: think our president got in trouble for that about yeah so that's what years i ago. have this theory joe
3: joe, joe neil <laughs> kinnick joe this is my theory is yes. you know i'm coming around to one of your new year's predictions oh is that joe biden will not be the nominee are for you 2024. Serious? you're coming around i think it's gonna be claudine gay <laughs> because she has to be as progressive as he is and then also has his same knack for fl- plagiarism.
0: That AP story you mentioned, that star- so we started the morning with the AP saying that conservatives were now inventing this new <laughs> theory of plagiarism, but buried in that story is the following paragraph. This is the Associated Press. Christopher Rufo, a conservative activist who helped orchestrate the effort, Celebrated gay's departure as a win in his campaign against elite institutions of higher education. On X, formerly Twitter, he wrote, scalped as if gay was a trophy of violence, invoking a gruesome practice taken up by white colonists who sought to eradicate Native Americans. So the Associated Press reported to us today that it was the white colonists who were scalping the Native Americans. Later, after everyone pointed out that this was, in fact, backwards, the Associated Press stealth edited the article to say that the white colonists had learned how to do the scalping from the Native Americans, but they were still the main scalpers. So that's how the Associated Press—they they need a wellness check over there, by the to, way. They're having a day.
3: To go further, is like, you know, like when you've lost— Like, in this culture these days, it's like we have not, we've not lost, we've lost the ability to, like, okay, listen, I've lost, I need like, take some time, go reflect on things. Not Clauding Gay. No. Courtney sent around today a column from her in the New York Times today. And, you know, in that it's very interesting column, I think it's well worth reading. I mean, the first sentence was, four score
0: (laughs) and seven days ago. (laughs)
1: I think she showed a little remorse. That was the Babylon Bee. Remorse. The
3: Babylon Bee said that uh, she her resignation letter was titled the Gettysburg Address, but <laughs> um, but buried in, in I, her. I finally got that. Good job, Joe. Welcome <laughs> into the combo. True. <laughs> so buried in her column is is this passage: College campuses in our country must remain places where students can learn, share, and grow together, not spaces where proxy battles and political grandstanding take root. political grandstanding on college campuses now i mean
2: it's can you talk about being tone deaf about well just hypocritical yeah i mean just just not recognizing the the wider excuse or
0: the wider rebuttal to all this from the left is that she was fired because she's a black woman that's what you've heard. I've been on TV about it. I've been watching some coverage. and We're going to play a clip in a minute. But basically, oh, they only got rid of her because she is a
4: black woman. Let's hear, a, let's hear from them. This Courtney.
2: is New York Times' Mara Gay.
4: The thing that really disturbs me is the unrelenting campaign from the right and from some mm-hmm. conservative activists to uh, slander, discredit, and... Ultimately, I, I guess uh, you know somebody used the phrase uh, "we've claimed a scalp." I said, I think, on uh, social media, you know, to essentially unseat gay and other presidents as well um, when they don't like, uh, you know, the, not just the handling of uh, the horrific attacks on Israel on October seventh, the way that that was handled on campus, but really anything else uh, that they don't like about. Uh, not just these presidents, but actually, what they would call wokeism, on campus. Mm-hmm. So this is really an attack on academic freedom. <laughs> it's an attack on uh, people who are pluralists and believe that you should bring people from all over the world together uh, of diverse backgrounds, and that you you actually have more scholarly rigor, and and more um, value can be. Uh, brought by having people from different backgrounds. This is an attack on diversity. This is an attack on multiculturalism and on many of the values that a lot of us hold dear. And in fact, anybody really who is around my age in their 30s who went to any uh, public, major public university or private university in this country, you know, these are values that are very important. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that's why these presidents are under attack. That's why Claudine Gay was under attack. The fact that she's a black
2: That's MSNBC, by the way, an interview there with the uh, New York Times' Mara Gay.
0: Yeah, so essentially Claudine Gay needs the academic freedom to cut and paste from other people. That's just her. She needs to be able to exercise that freedom. The glossing over of the plagiarism is incredible to me. I mean— there's been no defense of it. I did hear a couple of people say, "Well, it was just minor technical." Th- that's
2: that's the defense that I've heard. This was not uh, <laughs> this was not a situation. There's 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 major plagiarism where you're really trying to pass off more of the the, the, the whole body of the work that somebody else did, and there's, there's other kind of incidental.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, does it matter? No, it does not matter. It does not matter. It does not matter at all. And I think. To me, and obviously there's been allegations of racism here that they're after this uh, professor because she's black. But to me, it is a racist thing to say, well, because she is black, we have to set lower standards for her. Because, of course, the standards must be lowered for her in order for her to meet them. That, that's essentially what they're arguing, which to me is about the most racist thing you can say. right. And so I, don't, I just totally reject this argument that we have to have lower or no standards because someone is a racial minority in an important job. And by the way, President of Harvard is an important job. Last night I was on and somebody said, well, they've disrespected her. I'm like, isn't it disrespectful to say that she can only exist in a world with no standards? I mean, to me, that's disrespectful to every other academic of any color or any gender. <laughs> Uh, or any background, uh, I, I I just, I, I think the way people have reacted to this must have blown a hole, a deeper hole in confidence in universities and academia right now. I, If you're a parent right now thinking about sending your kid off to college, what must
2: you be thinking? If I could, another New York Times columnist, Brett Stevens, hit right on that point. He said, one of the secrets of America's post-war success wasn't simply the caliber of U.S. universities, it was the respect they engendered among ordinary people who aspire to send their children to them, that respect is now being eroded to the point of being erased, and for good reason. This goes back to, in some respects, I don't disagree with some of the comments from the other New York Times columnist on her, where she's saying, this is not just an attack, this is basically an attack on wokeism. And I think in some ways it is.
0: And specifically, by the way, it is an attack on the DEI agenda. right. On these campuses, which, by the way, is the epicenter of where the anti-Semitism comes from. Well, it's but that's, was, that's the convergence right, of these two stories: right. the anti-Semitism and then this plagiarism. But Claudine Gay was a champion of and a product of the DEI agenda in office at Harvard.
2: If I could, Sean, status with going from Brett Stevens and then to go to you, status without excellence is a is a rapidly wasting asset, especially when it comes with. An exorbitant price. That's the position of much of American academia today. $200,000 or more is a lot to pay for lessons on how to be anti-racist.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there, there are just two more things I want to say about this. One is like, you know, what are what are like some flower of country values that we have that we're taught from a very young age out here? We're taught don't lie, don't cheat, and don't steal. Like that's just common sense stuff that we're taught. And it just... Is a total failure, I think that you know people could get to the upper echelon of society and think that they can just break the rules like that. The other thing I want to say is, what does it say, to kind of the point that you were saying, Scott, what does it say that kind of the nail in the coffin for her was not the anti-Semitism stuff? Mm-hmm. It was the plagiarism stuff. It was, you know, for Liz McGill, Yeah. you know Well, they had massive donor
0: problems. Yeah, obviously. I think there.
2: that was the, the true energy behind this movement, but I think they needed something academic to be that nail in the coffin.
0: But Harvard's endowment sort of insulates a little bit from that because they they obviously... It insulates
3: from the anti-Semitism.
0: But I... Yes, because in the case of the McGill, I think it was like a $100 million donor. I mean, they don't carry the same endowment as Harvard. Um, I I, uh, hope that they hire someone to replace her who is of the utmost academic integrity and is a true academic. I mean, I didn't know much about her when she got hired, but now that we've had some news reporting on this, the th- the thinness of her resume to begin with, and you're the president of Harvard. <laughs> I mean, you you know.
1: You expect certain You
0: expect a, a, a certain resume. level. If you're going to go down the road of an academic to be the president, you expect a certain resume, and she did not have it. Now, Okay, maybe she met other goals as you and pointed that, and out. And that was
1: my thing. Is in the beginning, what what were her requirements for this? Did she what other qualifications did she meet that they said that's the next Harvard president for us?
0: I was I was texting with a Democrat friend of mine last night who was like, "Yeah, I don't, you know, you you guys are off the rails going after this. She's not an anti semite." And I said, "Okay, I'll grant you your opinion that she's not." but she is certainly hostage to people that are mm-hmm. otherwise she would have been able to sit at that table and loudly and clearly condemn genocide against the jews uh, which was a very simple question that she was asked but this but this these DEI offices on these campuses they are they are the source of a lot of the problems that are we're seeing now in the world uh, on these university campuses, whether it's the anti-Semitism or whether it's the covering up for people who have broken university standards, I mean, the the, the the academics don't matter. The values or the morals don't matter. Only the identity matters. I mean, that's their qualification is the identity. That's the point of it.
2: And that's where it, it goes back around to where we all kind of agreed is that this is an opportunity then yeah. to call, you know, that's what it is. And to for for, perhaps for it to be a reckoning moment for universities, we've been looking, I think, at at this you know trend for a long time.
0: She's going to keep her job, by the way. She goes back to the faculty, and I, according to what I read, she was going to continue to be paid nearly
2: a million dollars a year. Well, how can you do that if you're you you're being fired because of plagiarism? How (laughs) how is that consistent? I
0: I mean, that makes
1: no sense. I mean, think think about
0: think about the average. just the average middle-class family out there, think, well, I'd like to send my son or daughter off to the Ivy League. Boy, wouldn't it be amazing if one of, somebody in our family went to Harvard? So they've read in the paper that the president of Harvard is a serial plagiarist who can't decide how forcefully to condemn anti-Semitism. And when all of her problems were exposed and she was forced out of her job, she gets to go back to the faculty and make almost a million dollars a year my guess is you're asking yourself do, do i want to send my kid there do i want to pay for this what am i paying for
1: how how difficult it would be for her students when she sends them emails like hey you need to cite your work i know even small ones dr voss here at uk he did a a big article about cuz he was there with her, and some of the work he did was cited in her papers. Not cited, not cited, well yet. plagiarized. <laughs> yes, and he said he he didn't know that using the P word when he said, "Yeah, she plagiarized my work," that it would cause such an uproar. But what what else would you call like what what else would you call it? I read because his
0: piece. I felt like he was trying to excuse it.
1: He was trying he was, to excuse yeah. it one hundred percent. But he, which
0: I, I've been stunned at the number of academics who have jumped at the chance to excuse plagiarism. And I have been stunned at the number of journalists who have jumped at the chance to try to cover it up because it flowed – the uncovering of it flowed from conservative journalists that they right. don't like. Yeah. It's crazy. Isn't this the point of journalism and media, to investigate and uncover things? I mean uh, – <laughs> I mean, The honestly, good old
3: days. Is
1: Joe? Is that, is that the point
0: of I, – I t- On that front, by the way, I read a tweet tonight ooh, from – Nate Silver. By the way, Nate, he of 538 fame, he's kind of a free agent now. He's going to get canceled. But he said tonight... He's with us now. There's a certain type of journalist with an increasingly utilitarian outlook, i.e., it's so important that the good guys win right. that the ends justify the means. and fairness and accurately, are subservient to that. This was subtext for a long time, but is now being said explicitly.
2: Right. And I don't think it's... Don't, it's not new, but I think it is more prevalent. Yeah, and I think it's also—I mean, frankly—in your 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 other employer, CNN, and, and other other networks as well, there's an expectation from the viewers. If you don't deliver that kind yeah. of uh, that narrative that I want to hear, I'm going to turn you off. You know, if that's that's the world that we live in. Somebody, uh, one of these uh, left
0: wing activists on Twitter was going crazy when this firing was announced. Saying we're now going to investigate all the right-wing academics. It's like good luck finding yeah. them. <laughs> all three, <laughs> all, all three luck. of them. <laughs> but you know that you know what like the a 9%.
1: answer you nine know, percent. You
0: know what the answer to the fine. Go ahead, right? Because she's not being investigated for being left-wing. She's being investigated for being a fraud, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, go ahead if you want to. If you want to dig up the handful of right-wing academics out there and tests there
3: Hillsdale better batten down the hatches <laughs> so
0: but but you know the, the, and we can we can end on this I I think the broader story for higher education right now in the United States is people are already questioning the value of it when you look at the expense they're questioning the value of I mean these things, colleges are getting outrageous and so this along with other issues I, I think parents are I mean they're 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 asking themselves right now, what's the value of this versus sure. the value of some other kind of education or the value of a school close to home? And, it, you know, we're in a bit of a reckoning period, mm-hmm. and and I don't know how it's going to shake itself out, but it, it feels like we're on the precipice of something fundamentally mm-hmm. changing in, in the way we've known higher education.
2: Yeah, the two big things we've heard the most about on college campuses the last couple of years is is this situation as far. Are you being driven by a pursuit of of Learning and how to learn, or by some identity politics or DEI, and then secondly, of course, is the college loan situation. Yeah. and at some point, at some point, those two <laughs> come to a head. To your point, is to say, is this worth it? Let's go to Iowa and New Hampshire. Iowa Republican caucuses coming up Monday, January fifteenth, just twelve days away, uh, and then January. I'm sorry, the the twenty third, Tuesday in New Hampshire. When we come back in a moment, the presidential polls and w- do Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, stand a chance.
3: Hey there, Flyover Country listeners. Today's episode is
2: brought to you by the Bluegrass Media
3: Lab, Kentucky's premier media studio. The Bluegrass Media Lab offers a wide array of services, including video production, podcasting, live shot broadcasting, web development, media training, and more. You name it, they do it. Head over to bluegrassmedialab.com today to get in touch. Now, back to more Flyover Country with
2: Scott Jennings. This is Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I am Joe Arnold, Courtney Yap Norris. Scott is here, Sean Southard, and Scott. Yeah, we are watching very carefully the uh, couple different, actually the first votes being cast in the presidential contest of twenty twenty four. Iowa's going to be first, the caucuses, January 15th.
0: Yeah, we've got a bunch of stuff happening. So we're recording on Wednesday night. Um, I'm actually flying up to New York on Thursday. CNN on Thursday nights having town halls with Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley in Iowa. So I'll be on the, the postgame coverage for that. And then we go immediately into next week. CNN is having a debate in Iowa, and it looks like it'll be Haley versus DeSantis. Trump also qualified, but of course won't be there. I think maybe Fox is also having some programming. So we're going to have a bunch of very public uh, interactions between DeSantis and Haley coming up here before we have the Iowa caucus. Right now, Donald Trump is still dominant in it. And then the very following week, uh, we have New Hampshire, as you pointed out. In in the intervening period, there's supposed to be another couple of debates in New Hampshire Mm -hmm. that in theory should be... Haley versus DeSantis. I'm not sure the criteria for those or whether Christie or Ramaswamy will uh, qualify. I guess to me, uh, the big the big question here is, can somebody get close to Donald Trump in Iowa? I mean, he's so dominant. And how certain-
2: close is close, in your opinion?
0: I have been saying that if Ron DeSantis got within single digits, that would be a, a fairly close result.
2: That would be extraordinary, considering where he is right now, wouldn't it?
0: It would be extraordinary for anybody to get that. I mean, Trump's up you know 20 30 points. Um I, I have talked to some people in Iowa there is a school of thought that Haley might slip in ahead of DeSantis even is if it? even if she, and, and I think she has lower expectations. Mm-hmm. So so even if she finished far back of Trump if she were to somehow finish ahead of DeSantis in Iowa my presumption is this would end the DeSantis campaign. Yeah. And and give her a little bit of propulsion heading to her true Alamo which is New Hampshire. For Trump, um, I, I mean, everybody expects him to win. The problem with high expectations is that they're high. And so, for him now, he does need to crush. I mean, I think the expectation is that he is going to crush. He needs to crush. Anything below an absolute crushing victory, uh, you know, could could cause some people to wonder whether he's he's wobbly a little bit. But you talk to folks out there, and even the people who definitely don't want Trump are like, yeah, he's, he's crushing right now.
2: And, of course, if she does well, that also can from a just a dynamic situation propel her, I would think, somewhat in New Hampshire too.
0: Yeah. Her main problem Get that and, bump. Yes. Her main problem is Chris Christie, who we've got some sound from Chris Christie. So basically he's behind her and he has been absolutely steadfast in saying he will not drop out of the race. Let's hear from Chris Christie.
2: Who do we want to be as a country? Many of us feel like we don't have anywhere to go, but the only choice is pitting us against one another. The country I choose, one with love in our hearts for every American. Our differences are a strength, not a weakness, where the president cares more about you than he does about himself. Donald Trump, he will sell the soul of this country. I'm not perfect, I've made mistakes, but I will always tell you the truth. New Hampshire, it's up to you. I'm Chris Christie. I prove this message. So
0: he's got that on TV. I saw tonight, by the way, that the Trump campaign is apparently, I haven't seen the ad, I just saw the reporting, is on the air with an attack ad against Nikki Haley in New Hampshire, attacking her, I think, on immigration, maybe. And the Super PAC had been attacking her on taxes. By the way, so this keeps coming up. Um, is Chris Christie basically preventing Nikki Haley from having any chance of winning? So I asked a Chris Christie senior advisor, how are you all answering this? And here's what they say. Haley is essentially political fool's gold. Might look nice from a distance, but ain't worth much up close. Meaning she might talk a big game right now, but will never take the risks, possibly alienating his base for 2028, needed to beat Trump in a one-versus-one matchup. It's 2016 all over again. Also, the math doesn't add up. Based on our polling, Haley gets maybe six points from Christie, and the more keep, uh, she keeps saying she will pardon Trump, the less likely... That becomes. At the end of the day, the idea that she's in a dramatically better position than Christie just isn't true. It's just a Haley campaign talking point. So that's the Chris Christie spin on the idea that he's basically saying, I want to do everything I can to get rid of Trump, except staying in the race makes it impossible. Well, look,
3: Donald Trump didn't win Iowa the first time. Yeah, it was close. It was close, but he didn't win. Mm -hmm. He's got a better team around him now. Yep. A very professional team. And I just think that he's in a strong position. He's a political juggernaut.
0: Yeah.
1: To your point that you had last year, mm-hmm. when you recorded,
3: oh. <laughs> great dad hey. joke.
1: Gra- <laughs> you like that? I think he. I think he's going to come out on top. If he's an incumbent president, and he has the momentum behind him. I don't think he's going to be able to be. And I. And I find it interesting that Haley keeps bouncing back between this little game that she's playing, trying to get the independent voters of New Hampshire, where she's like, I'm going to pardon Trump, but I really don't like him, and he's a threat to our democracy, but he's okay, I'm going to be in his administration. She just has flip-flops since 2016 Her support, not support, support, not support. And, it's not really— and, I,
3: I, I just don't think that, like, this argument that she is basically trying to make is that he is the establishment. Well, he is. I mean, he's an incumbent president. But he's just, not really. He is, he is just such a different to character. His, to
1: his supporters, he's not the establishment, and that's why they like him.
3: We, we've been spending a lot of time
0: parsing out Iowa and New Hampshire, but just to pull back, it would be shocking to me. Take the names out of it. If I told you there was a human being who was sitting at 66% nationally in his or her party for their party's nomination, mm-hmm. and the next closest person was at 11 and we are a mere few days from when they start voting, would any of us be saying, oh, well, obviously he's going to lose. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> and so whenever I, I think about, oh, this could happen and that could happen, just remember, two-thirds of Republicans nationally want Donald Trump to be the nominee. I know it's not a national primary. I know we go state by state. I, I get it. But that gives you some idea of just sort of the national sort of narrative and water flow mm-hmm. towards Trump in this race. Morning consult today, 2024 Republican primary nationally, Trump 66, DeSantis 11, Haley 11, Ramaswamy 6, Christie 4, Hutchison 1, someone else won 66, and the next two two closest competitors are at 11 and 11. Even if they combined forces and got every single vote, they'd still be down 40 points.
2: Let me ask you a hypothetical, all of you. Do you think it would have made a difference? Not that this is ever possible, and this is just a fantasy land, but just bear with me. If the opposition to Donald Trump among all these candidates had had been able to to come to an agreement two months ago and said, "Fine, here's our one candidate with our best shot," would that even have made a difference?
0: But look at the look at the look at the choices. Yeah, I understand. They all have different constituencies. Desantis is his own brand. Haley represents a pre-Trump version of the Republican Party. Chris Christie represents the purest form, I guess, of never Trump. Ramaswamy is essentially a surrogate for Trump. None of these people represent exactly the same thing. So the idea that you would be able to find all of that in one person and keep it together, I mean, people keep saying, well, what if DeSantis drops out? That'll help Haley. No, it won't. It will probably hurt her because his people, a good chunk of them are going to Trump. And so what your theory is, is that there is more than half the party that wants to do something other than Trump. And that's just not true. The problem with the theory is Trump is popular. It's not like Trump is a wounded duck here. People like the guy. He's popular.
1: So do you think this Republican primary is going to be over well, sooner rather than later?
0: So so we spend a lot of time parsing out the avenues for, you know, upsets. Well, let's just parse out the most likely scenario. Trump crushes in Iowa. Then he crushes in New Hampshire. And everybody's like, well, it's over. <laughs> I mean, that's the most boring. That's what I think is going to happen. Does somebody
2: need to hang around long enough in case he goes to prison?
0: Well, that's what Chris Christie, I think his argument is. I've got to stay in the race because I'm the only one running a kind of a campaign who's willing to stand up in front of a Republican audience and say, we can't nominate a convicted felon. There's no audience for this, but— that's what his that's what he believes I think
2: I did not warn you about this in advance but you're so smart all of you that uh, you can answer this question for me on the Democratic Party they have things called superdelegates at the convention they can do a lot of very interesting things on the fly with that kind of influence if they decided to pivot if they if they if they decided the day before the convention that Joe Biden was incompetent and was and was not able to do this or something else happened they could they could just on their own get together and, and coalesce and find someone else is there a, a similar delegate? Situation or any way in the, on the Republican side?
0: This was tried in '16. I mean, the Ted Cruz, Mike Lee people tried to get together and up in the convention. And Sean alluded this earlier. The Trump people have a really good campaign. They've they've got this thing on lockdown. It would be shocking to me mm-hmm. that you could get a convention of Republicans together <laughs> to say, "Well, we're going to somehow re, re-engineer all this and get rid of Trump here at the convention." I just we don't live in that era. Because, I mean think about it the popular will of the party if what if what happens is how I just described it crush crush everyone drops out he coasts he's got all the delegates I mean first of all a lot of these people are bound second of all mm-hmm. the idea that a convention of insiders would get together and overturn the will of the Republican Party well, there'd be a revolt people would go crazy they and would- they should go crazy to be honest with you
2: I didn't know if there was some opportunity, you know, if, if some other reality came up between now and But what commission. what
0: reality? Let's say he gets convicted of a felony, which, I you know, I don't know what the dates of the trials are going to be. These Republicans don't think it's legitimate. They yeah. think that this is the reason we have to nominate him, that he has to be vindicated. So I, I, they just wouldn't see it that way. I mean, I— I don't know. I see very little path out for somebody that's not named Donald Trump. This this whole engagement with the legal system and now them trying to take him off the ballot. It's, been it's only helped him.
1: It's only helped his camp because he's when like, I'm f- getting indicted for you. These 90 indictments are for you, my people, so that you don't have to deal with it. I'm for the democracy. And,
3: and you've got Democrats and independent senators like being like, oh, guys, this is bad. Yes. Be careful what you wish for.
0: By the way, that main secretary of state. Sounds and acts exactly like what you would expect. Like a TikTok star. It <laughs> but this is great for her. She gets to unilaterally knife Donald Trump and get all the glory from that, from the far left that she wants. And then when the Supreme Court punts it into the sun, oh, that illegitimate, dastardly, bought-and-paid-for Supreme Court. That's why we got a Mitch McConnell rigged. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so it's I, I like actually... like the
1: Angela Lansbury. I think... <laughs>
0: What? She's I like, think, no
1: law degree, no law background. She's just playing a part. She's like, I'm just going to arbitrarily decide this legal case in front of me, even though no one asked me to Which the craziest besides part, my friends. The
3: craziest part of all this is that he's not been convicted of
0: anything. I think this whole thing, taking We're him off the ballot, ballot, is not, Is this is part of the larger Democratic plan to delegitimize the United States Supreme Court. There is a massive, well-organized, well-funded campaign to get the american people to view one of our branches of government as illegitimate.
2: It's unfortunate that the leading candidate for president on the republican party was also trying to delegitimize the election process 4 years ago. If only there would be there'd be much more uh, of a ground to stand on, you know, overall. And I agree with you, Scott, there is an effort to not only to delegitimize the supreme court, but frankly to delegitimize the entire country. If you talk about you know Thomas Jefferson's statue being you know torn down in New York City. The founding fathers overall. I mean, ultimately, what we're talking about here is either the country is essentially good or essentially evil, and this is the this is the big battle that's being fought on campuses as well as on in these contests.
0: That Jamie Raskin, congressman, was on CNN State of the Union on Sunday, saying, "Well, you know, Clarence Thomas has to recuse himself from any of these cases involving Trump, and if he doesn't, well, we'll have to we'll have to see what we're going to do about that." As though as though we were just going to. Render the Supreme Court like no longer a legitimate branch of the government. That's or the something. goal, and he
3: will reap the whirlwind.
0: But that's the like but that's what chuck? that's what they're setting up here: a situation where the Supreme Court's going to correctly toss this out, and then over half the country or half the country is going to say, "Oh, it's rigged for Trump." You know, these are not legitimate people. Supreme Court, yeah. Electoral College. Well, that's why we got to pack the Supreme Court. That's why we got to do this in the Supreme Court. So it, it's all part of this great conspiracy, in my opinion, to delegit They are. They are committing insurrection against the Supreme Court. I mean, that's the plan. That's what they want to do. They want the country to basically say the Supreme Court is no longer a legitimate and functioning authority in our country. That's what they want.
2: That's what they want.
0: Yeah. And this is part of it, my opinion.
2: Speaking of the wider battle, if you will, or the wider debate over perhaps some of the woke culture, uh, your friend, our friend Daniel Cameron, the former Kentucky Attorney General, just days after leaving office, has a new job, uh, and this is called the 1792 Exchange. It's an organization dedicated to pushing back on woke capitalism and corporations. Yep,
0: yeah, our friend Daniel, who uh, Courtney and Sean obviously had the pleasure of uh, working for in the last uh, campaign last year, has become the CEO of this 1792 Exchange, and uh, he will be leading a uh, the, these national efforts to uh, engage corporations and, and try to hold them accountable for some of their uh, their woke policies. Daniel says, I'm honored to serve as the CEO of this exchange. I will continue the meaningful work to put an end to the anti-American ESG agenda that threatens to take over our corporations and change the fabric of our country. We will shine a bright light on those whose ideological agendas seek to dismantle American freedom and prosperity so, you can find them at 1792exchange.com. When I first heard the name of this, I thought, does this have something to do with the founding of Kentucky? That's right. I'm not sure that it does. But, uh, but what I expect, Sean and Courtney, is that Daniel is, is going to be a highly visible person uh, as he leads this organization.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, you think about the ESG movement and what it does is deliver ratings on corporations for environment, social issues, and governance. Uh, this is kind of a conservative the new conservative response to that, which is that it provides you know ratings and and you know rates companies on biases that they may have uh, and so it's kind of an interesting response to that new uh, movement that we've seen. It's definitely in response to the the ESG movement uh, and tries to hold shareholders and to educate shareholders about the way that the corporations are are turning.
1: And Daniel historically has a history of holding people accountable, and that's what he did last year for the governor. If, even if the outcome wasn't what we wanted, he definitely held him accountable for the decisions that he made for the last four years when not many people in Kentucky were doing that, and he had a history of doing that as attorney general. So, yeah, he, right said up his he, went, alley.
0: he had investigations in the release here into Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo. So when you think about Daniel and what he might do in the future, run for further office. I think I think this is a good landing spot for him to continue to be visible on issues that conservatives care about. And
3: one thing that they are really into is looking at pension funds and making sure that those pension funds are invested responsibly to try to get the maximum return. And that's something that here in Kentucky in particular, we've, we've dealt with <laughs> yeah. an enormous uh, shortfall there for years. And so making sure that those programs are focused
2: on maximizing returns rather than pursuing some sort of ideological agenda. Is really important. I want to give credit to Daniel Crammond for running through the tape as attorney general. One of the last acts that he did, he, he led a 21-state coalition to challenge the Biden administration on the extreme climate rule uh, being proposed, and uh, they argued that Congress has not given the Department of Transportation the authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. This is the expansion of the federal government and trying to, In this is an ESG-like of, of effort there, using any that utilitarian argument again, Scott, you know, any avenue we can use is justified if we get our end result. Yeah. So by the way, friend of the podcast, uh, Congressman Andy Barr joined us this past, last year on this very subject, talking about how corporations and especially investment firms, if you're trying to, you know, secure a good retirement fund for your, for your investors, you should be focused on that and not upon someone else's agenda.
0: Speaking of, uh, Constitutional officers, by the way. I went to Frankfurt this week. You were the MC of the swearing-in. That was very impressive. It was pretty cool. I, I don't think I'd ever actually gotten to speak in the rotunda before. I've certainly been there and been around things, but to, to be able to uh, lead the program as our all-Republican constitutional officer slate got sworn in was very cool. We had a bagpiper. Josh oh. Quinn oh, really? of Northern Kentucky was there. with the, He had the full suit. And bagpipes. There's a lot of. He was, was wearing a kilt. Yes. It was a lot of hot air on a cold day. It was he amazing.
3: A, a sporn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. Is sp- that a sporn? Is like the like a neo sporin or an old sporn? The pouch. <laughs> the the pouch that <laughs> that uh,
3: you wear. He had.
1: It's called a sporn. My father-in-law plays the bagpipes. By yeah. the way. So my. That's, that's, I'd love to learn. How husband to do that. was subjected to that his entire childhood. Um, his, could only dad imagine. practicing the bagpipes
0: so we had uh that we had mem- uh, many members of the judiciary were there to swear in so we had judges justices two Supreme Court justices the Shea. governor was there leader McConnell governor Bashir was there and Mitch McConnell came and made remarks there in the shadows of Lincoln and Henry Clay uh it was it was pretty cool and um my impression of the speeches was everybody did a nice job um and uh and the families were there. Spouses, children. It was a it was a jubilant day. The, it was the same day that the general assembly was getting underway, and the capitol was full. Lots of folks milling around. Stivers and Osborne, our uh, Senate President, Speaker of the House, were there, and they made welcoming remarks. So it was it was overall a really fun experience. Our new Attorney General, friend of the pod, Russell Coleman, uh, his office on the first floor played host to everybody, and that was kind of the convening area. So it was cool to be back in there. And our old our old pod mate Kevin Grout. He's got his name on the door back there. That was that was pretty cool. So it was neat to be in the Capitol. I did take They note. gave him a nameplate on a door? Oh yeah. Yeah. Can
1: I have a nameplate on my door?
2: Yeah. It was uh <laughs> <laughs> sure. You disagreed. Uh, can I can I quote Russell Coleman's speech just because of how much I appreciate it. Very briefly. Yeah. Talking about it, because you mentioned Henry Clay. He said Senator Clay was no shrinking violet in defending his values, but he put pragmatism over passion. He got things done at a perilous time in our history. This is the commitment that each of my gifted constitutional officer colleagues is making to you to seek collaboration where we can, but to go to the fight to improve the lives of those we serve, whether in the shadow of this building or far from the Golden Triangle. I thought it was really an interesting moment for Russell Coleman because he really took a leadership position there for speaking at a time there, for really for all the constitutional officers. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this all. Manifest itself at the Capitol.
0: I said in my brief opening remarks that I I thought today was kind of a line of demarcation. You know, the the politics for these folks was grueling, but it comes to an end, and now the public service begins. and And uh, Russell, I think, embodied that in his room. Several of them, I thought Mike Adams did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, these these people all. I mean, these are not. It's not so glamorous to hold these jobs. There's a lot of work, and it's hard to get these jobs. But once you get them, it's a ton of work and. And I was very proud to see these Republicans up there. You know, it's all—it's the most qualified group of people we've ever had serving simultaneously in the constitutional uh, offices. And so it was a good feather uh, for the Republican Party, even though lost the governor's race. Uh, having these highly qualified Republicans take these positions was nice. I know they were all honored by Senator McConnell's presence there. So I thought it was a nice way to begin the new year. It was an honor to be asked uh, to serve as the MC for the program, and I'm I'm grateful for that. And Hopefully we'll have a few of these folks on the pod from time to time to give us an update on uh, what's going on. I'll just say one other thing about it. I learned and have been learning. So the Capitol's under renovation mm-hmm. mm. on the outside. Apparently it's about to be gutted and under renovation on the inside. And so if you haven't been in the Capitol lately, uh, you may want to get down there because it might be closing for several years Yeah. Uh, to to a lot you know, of all activity. Those,
1: all those Constitution officers, officers are going to be somewhere that's yeah. not as glamorous. So they'll be doing an not very glamorous job, at a not very glamorous
0: being trailers. Place. Yeah. So if you if you want to see the inside of your capital, uh, the way it is now, uh, and not be locked out of it for a few years, you may want to <laughs> you may want to pop down because it's uh, it's going to be uh, it's, this renovation is going to apparently shutter it right after the legislature ends. I think they're headed towards some kind of some kind of closure.
2: You should host some committee meetings here at Run Switch PR. <laughs> we we could do it. When we come back, speaking of what we've seen, read, and heard this week, not just in Frankfurt but in our lives. Well, before we wrap up this week's edition of Fly Over Country with Scott Jennings, Scott, a little scene, read, heard. Are we all prepared, Courtney? Do we have it all ready to go?
1: I am prepared. What do you
2: have? What have you seen, read, or heard?
1: I finished The Paris Wife, which is a historical fiction about Ernest Hemingway's wife. Super fascinating. It's about his first wife. It's not real, but based upon the readings of that. And because I'm about two years behind in all books, because I have three kids, um, mom life, I am reading on the house with John Boehner. That's what I started.
2: Oh, this year. So, so, do you read with an actual book, or do you read like Scott and just listen to everything?
1: I do both. Do I, it, both. it depends on what I'm reading. Um, it just it just depends. But on the house, I have the audible version because it's read by John Boehner. Um, and
2: I, I, didn't he kind of ad lib some things he during did. it? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm really excited about. So that's, I want the audible version. But a lot of I, American Royals is also on my list. I don't know. That's kind of one of the. It's also like two years old, where it's about if George Washington didn't forego the presidency, and so. But on the House, John Boehner. I'm so two or three
2: years behind on some television watching. I didn't realize this episode, this the show even came out. Just but I've, two or three years. Well, fine. Think? Okay, I'm 20 years behind. But that said, Here's this
0: new show, Cheers. It's incredible. <laughs> it is pretty good.
2: So uh, there's a show on the Smithsonian Channel called. <laughs> come on now, why, Courtney? Can I talk to you about this?
1: I. I I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm really far behind. Like I watched okay. The West Wing like 20 years after it what? came out. So go ahead, Joe. Talk they, to me.
2: If he doesn't even, I can't even finish my sentence before they're just. I know. Sh- what they're what ro- is what, they're
4: roasting what? you? Like
3: I'm hearing about the Smithsonian Channel for like the first time in my life. Hit it. Tell us
4: what's on the what? Smithsonian Channel. There's there
2: a on? show called The Lost Mummies Unwrapped. <laughs> it's called The Lost <laughs> Tapes, and it's a it's a great reconstruction of historical. Uh, Moments, especially in the 20th century, when there was electronic media around, but they've gone back and they've found a lot of media files, whether it's the contemporary reporting of the day or things people were reporting on, like a home video, and they tell the story within one hour of momentous moments, our pivotal moments in our in our history, 20th century, everywhere from Pearl Harbor to to uh, the tornado outbreak in 1974, which included Louisville, Kentucky, and mm. much of flyover country, to uh, the assassination of Malcolm X, the Tet Offensive. And it's all reconstructed by these historians, and it's fascinating. Mm. So give it—I guess give it—go on a plane to to, wherever you go to do these (laughs) things with with the politicians, and just watch one episode, will you, please?
0: Okay. We'll talk about it. I'll watch one episode. Thank you. My scene, Red Herd, is uh, we kept up the Jennings family annual tradition this year, and we're glued to the sci-fi network Twilight Zone Marathon. You missed a few episodes. I missed a few, uh, but— but in your I, honor, I watched like five
2: of those over the weekend.
0: I just love it. And I have one child who loves the Twilight Zone. And the rest are like, Dad, this show's in black and white. This is terrible. But uh, but one kid loves it. And it's so it's freaking creepy. It's uh, it would
1: scare me out when I watched the but Twilight we Zone.
0: we love it, okay. and so some of our favorite episodes were on and we enjoyed that as a family. And your favorite? I, I my favorite is always been it's close, but I love the howling man. Where the traveler goes to the castle and meets the—it's like a monastery of these religious zealots,
2: these monks. If and I, by the way, if I were saying this right now, you guys would be rolling your eyes. But go ahead. <laughs> and anyway, oh,
0: I, I am, but you know, yeah. his can name's on the my, podcast. You have more respect. No Brother <laughs> one can
1: see my face right now, but it is making a very weird.
0: Brother Jerome is the head of the the religious sect, and they have locked up in the castle the devil himself, uh, and the traveler. Uh, is ultimately tricked by the devil, and they he lets him free. And this is just prior to World War II. And last year, all sorts of bad last
3: things. year he talked about this and talked about the guy that is not sure whether or not he's murdering people because all the mannequins are in his. Oh, basement. the wax,
0: the wax figures, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that's also a great one. I didn't actually see that one this year. It, it didn't come across uh, when I was watching.
3: Pity. Yeah.
0: Right, how about you, do Sean? Not, do you not
3: like this show? I I have not actually watched a whole lot of the Twilight Zone.
1: I've only seen one, hmm. where it's about like a department store and a mannequin. Yeah, and she, she, like, she doesn't, yeah, know, she's she doesn't a know she's a
2: that mannequin. Was, that was on the air over, so the, yeah, was, over the weekend. That's yeah. the
3: only Twilight yeah. so this Zone. Is, really this that is I one of the few things that like you know separates me from most eighty year olds is that I don't watch the Twilight Zone. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, Sean um, and I did
1: discover that we are just tiny, like we're just young old people. Like I knit and watch. <laughs> All
0: right,
3: uh, I started watching. Have not finished the new Dave Chappelle. Oh. Comedy special. I've seen some outrage about it. which too. was it, The first 10 minutes that I watched was really great. Uh, read, I read one book called Generations uh, about a, a family here in Kentucky called The Ledford Family. Totally recommend that everyone read it. And then also started Friend of the Pod, G.L. Gregg, Gary Gregg's new novel called The Stag and the Spear, set in World War II London in England in Oxford. So please oh. go check it out.
2: For Courtney, Sean, and Scott, I'm Joe. Thanks for listening to Flyover Country with
0: Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.